Well, <clears throat> I'm still amazed, as I have been over many years, that I that I'm still alive. <laughs> because I, But why do you say that? Well, my grandmother, my grandmother used to tell me that I wasn't going to live to be 21 because I was too mannish. Mm. I was I was too uppity mm-hmm. in the face of white people. Hey there, and welcome to the memoir, My Dad Wouldn't Write. This is a limited series of conversations between a daughter and a father about the things that make us family and the items in my dad's 82 years that have helped to shape who he is today. You know, he's had this incredible life as a cultural worker, poet, professor, an activist, and mentor, but he wouldn't write a memoir. So this podcast is a way to get those conversations onto tape and to find out exactly what shaped this incredible and complex and far from perfect man that I love, Eugene Benjamin Redmond. If you've ever wondered what it would be like to be radically honest with your father with no topic off limit, well, sit back and enjoy. I think you're going to find this fascinating. Welcome, listeners. You will not believe the journey, <laughs> the journey that has occurred since we last checked in with one another. But I'm here with my dad, <laughs> the 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 venerable, honorable, and smell gullible <laughs> Professor no, Emeritus, smell gullible. smell gullible, Professor Eugene B. Redmond, and he is out of the hospital, out of rehab. And walking again. So, yeah. uh, Dad, can you can you tell us how did you wind up back home and healing, which is the state you're in now? <laughs> well, I uh, I was one of the uh, better students of the rehab academy uh, of the. Uh, let's say of the, of the third the unit within the rehab uh, institution, mm-hmm. and they they use me as an example. I guess one uh, my nephew, who was an all American football player in college, has always referred to me as an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, and in my fifties, sixties, seventies, uncle, you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. I've always worked out, so I think that uh, being incarcerated, <laughs> which is the title, which is which is the tentative title of whatever I'll write about being, right? Spend those two months in and <laughs> uh, uh, rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, the formal title is uh, uh, a poet's incarceration. A poet's incarceration. In parentheses, re-rehab. So my dad was at a rehab near us um, in a small town outside of where we live called Lebanon, Illinois. Right. And he shared a room with a fascinating (laughs) 
man named Jim. Um, and basically, uh, when my dad was brought in, he had just had a really gnarly black back surgery. Um, we discovered that his spine was squeezing his spinal cord and, you know, diminishing his mobility. And in order to regain the mobility, he had to have spine removed, neck, neck bone removed, some replaced with cadaver bone and rods and pins put in. So um, this has been quite a journey. Dad, was there ever any moment where you thought maybe you wouldn't get your mobility back? Because now you're walking. Yes, I'm walking <clears throat> and uh, with some aid. Uh, I walk around the house and out to cars, uh, um, out to the mail box, which is on a landing just a few yards from my door. Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, well, there, there, there were two kinds of, of angst and during, during that, that stage of the recovery, mm -hmm. you know, being in incarcerated, being in the rehab. One was a uh, incredible pain, mm. you know, and I've known some pains, uh, pain, I've negotiated the streets of East St. Louis, um, from as far as pogrom of 1917, mm -hmm. and the streets of St. Louis, you know, um, and, uh, you know, as a kid, there was youth gangs and so on. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I, uh, negotiated the Marines, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, that pain. So I, I knew pain. I know pain. You know, I've been injured, uh, uh all kinds of. Of encounters, but that was something that was bad. I had, I had an operation in Marines on the knee, left knee, mm -hmm. internal, internal derangement, a torn medial meniscus. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought a new pain. But one of the things in the initial uh, days and weeks of rehab was was an incredible pain. Mm. And <clears throat> I played a game, which is kind of like a a uh, a ballet. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, was involved, and I was dancing away f toward and away from the pain. Mm. It was a it was just a pain that I never had never dreamed of and never thought of. And uh, this pain radiate, radiated out from where your neck right, had been right, operated right. on? Right. Did it go all the way through all four limbs? No, no, no. It went to my left, my left and right arms in the bicep area. Ooh. And, uh, and then it, it, it maintained its presence in the left cavity of my chest. Mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know why. Not much in the right camp. And they they were giving me... Uh, the oxycodone. The oxycodone. And they were giving me a pain patch. 
once or twice a day. I, I, I didn't know about that. Mm. And then the pain patch was several inches long, maybe up near a foot long. Mm -hmm. And they just taped it to my left uh, outside Shoulder. Shoulder, yeah. Mm -hmm. Down down my left side. Uh, down my left back. Mm -hmm. Left side of my back. And um, it was just incredible pain. Ooh. One day, well, I could tell lots of stories about it. Mm -hmm. And people are now telling me stories that they say I told them. <laughs> you know, like Laura Dumas was telling me the other day that she, she told lots of friends about me uh, begging for more pain to overcome the pain. Right. That was the only way I could conceive of getting rid, rid of it at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say, bring on more pain. Mm -hmm. And one day, uh, one night, the nurse came in the room and asked, on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain? I said, 13. <laughs> So, oh God. so we would play that game. Sometimes it'd be oh. eleven. Oh man! You know, and then, you know, one time I said three, and she said, "Oh my God!" I was just so happy to applaud. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so that was one kind of pain. Mm. Um, the, the literal pain, physical pain, mm -hmm. which led to some strange emotional, psychological, attitudinal pain. Mm. And then the other was the pain of living the world through the rehab. So I had to see the world and uh, through TV, mm -hmm. which meant Fox and those 50 shows, black and white shows. Oh, okay. So and, he uh, took you back to a time. Yeah. Of deep oppression, <laughs> yeah. he took you back to a time of deep racialized uh, oppression. America. Right, he took you back to America, and, um, <laughs> and then the soundtrack yeah. was fitting it. Exactly, the soundtrack. This sounds kind of like a so, horror movie, Dad. Well, this is like a Jordan Peele uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, movie well, it treatment. It was an interesting time. And uh, so, so there was there was the there was that two that double double tier experience. Double tier experience. So yeah. you had the physical the pain, pain. Inside, and then the pain mixed pain and and, uh, and sometimes joy of fifties sixties TV <laughs> and 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 kind of ironically or coincidentally. The same era of music. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I heard Sam Cooke, mm -hmm. <laughs> along with Elvis Presley. You right, know, right. And uh, so on and so forth. When um, did you When did you know you had turned a corner? What's a, What's a significant uh, healing event that happened in rehab that let you know? Okay, I'm, I I am improving. Things are going to be all right. Um. When I started feeling less pain, that was mm. so it was on both. When I started mm -hmm. feeling less pain, and when I started, you know, having guests 
uh, who I could recognize, there were some guests who came, and I just t I sort of tolerated them. People I love, but I didn't quite know who they were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because the medicine just had you foggy. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So when I started recognizing people, and, uh, you know, I saw you, I saw my grandchildren. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, at one uh, point, somebody became, somebody tested positive for COVID. So they, they did a lockdown for three weeks. For, well, it was about right. two weeks. Well, two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so me and the kids came to your window. Came to the window and we Come opened the window to and talked talk to the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> through the screen. Yeah, yeah, we came, we looked at you at rehab, talked to you through the window there at your, uh, I mean, uh, your physical uh, therapy. My, my apartment, my my room. And then in your room too. Yeah. Um, and when I had mm -hmm. three women that I grew up with, Christine. Uh, Bernice mm -hmm. and Catherine Hooks. Mm -hmm. uh, Catherine was my sister Alma's best friend. But they can't even stay by the out having friends friends of mine from uh, 70 odd years ago. Nice. Yeah, you know, just, and I started to feel like, hey, you know, I'm going to make it. Mm -hmm. And also, I started to see the results Mm. of the therapy. Mm -hmm. It was a long time ago. To me, therapy was awful. You know, because when I sat in the wheelchair and got pushed down to therapy, the wiry back of the wheelchair increased the pain in my back. Mm -hmm. You know. And so, I resisted the therapy and wanted to shock the, mm -hmm. and didn't want to get out of bed to go. But once I could sit up for part of the day, mm. I knew I was turning. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, had an interesting experience one day when I could stand without having to lift myself with my arms in a wheelchair. Mm. Without having to do that. And one right. day they told me to stand up, and I just did that. Wow. And, and so they said, how did the, you do The that? listeners can't see you, but my yeah. dad just stood up with without... Pushing up my arm, without, <laughs> off his couch, right? Supporting myself mm -hmm. uh, with uh, with the arms and uh, and the, and the pads. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, "How did you do that?" I said, "I don't know." They said, "Can you do it again?" And I said, "Yeah." So I sat down and I did it six. I did it six to ten times like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they, they called everybody over to look at it. I mean, I struggled to get up. Stand up. I didn't even like it when they asked me to stand up. Mm -hmm. Anyway, those are those are the things that helped me see what was happening, and uh, I started taking notes. You brought me a notebook. Mm -hmm. Ronald brought me a notebook. I started taking notes, and I named uh, I named the experience of poets incarceration, mm -hmm. and I laughed and laughed and my. Roommate asked him why I was laughing, so I read the title of this uh, of the journal. I didn't do a lot of writing, and a, a poet's incarceration parenthesis re rehab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so um, and, that, and one mm -hmm. other thing I wanted to say. So I was looking at it from the inside, uh, being inside, and then I was looking at the world outside. So I got the Olympics. 
And I got, uh, you know, Afghanistan. Okay. You know, that build up to that. And, <clears throat> and all the other stuff. So I, I saw the outside world from the inside on a TV uh, of a man who uh, who was fascinated with the, with with black and white and Fox TV. Interesting. So there was rehab. Mm -hmm. All these races, all these ages, mm -hmm. all these genders, including crackpots who screamed all night. And when I say crackpots, I don't mean people with mental problems. There were some people there with mental problems. Yeah. But not the kind, you know, in, in actual mental homes. Mm-hmm. But uh, there were uh, people who wanted, needed to be seen, needed to be heard. Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, two or three o'clock in the morning, mm. you heard it. So yeah, it, because the rehab isn't just for people like you who are recovering from surgery. No. There are all kinds of um, reasons that a person might go to rehab. For instance, uh, your good friend who um, had to be hospitalized because of COVID, and they wouldn't send them home because they didn't have anyone to help take care of them, give them aftercare at home. That's right, that's right. So they remanded them to a rehab so that they could do their recovery there. Speaking of... We should get out next week or not this week. Mm -hmm. Had a had a, a experience similar to mine, um, and that was influenced by mine. They took all the furniture out of our house. Mm -hmm. So what my dad is referring to is, um, so there was this coalition of the willing. <laughs> we kind of descended on the the whole situation. Uh, when my dad had that culminating event of falling and not being able to get up, which drove him to the hospital to find out that he needed the surgery and so on. But um, then as he was uh, rehabbing, uh, we just started to talk with him about how uh, with decreased mobility, you need more room in the house. Uh, the we, need to, we needed to allow his apartment complex to replace the carpet with flooring because that's safer and so on. And um, so while he was in rehab, you know, able to focus on his healing, then it was me, his nephew, Donahue, and his best friend, Gerald, and his niece, Crystal, who kind of made sure that everything was held down here and uh, supervised um making some changes in the apartment that would be safer for him when he returned. Yeah. So we're still in the midst of it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we had a uh, couch delivered yesterday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you think you, how does this put aging into perspective for you? Um, well, <clears throat> I'm still amazed and I have been over many years that I that I'm still alive. <laughs> because I, But why do you say that? Well, my grandmother my grandmother used to tell me 
that I wasn't going to live to be 21 because I was too mannish. Mm. I, was, I was too uppity mm -hmm. in the face of white people. And uh, I just... Uh, I just wasn't subdued enough, and I wasn't uh, uh, learned enough in what, how black people ought to act around white people. Interesting. Yeah. And so she, she had said, seen you around white people enough to make this assessment? Oh, all the time. Went to stores, every time we okay. went out. Okay. So every time we stepped out of the house, every time we went downtown, every time we went to some event, some right. convention, you know. Uh, you know, what it might, it might be mixtures of people. I you keep know. forgetting that East St. Louis, the East St. Louis you grew up in was not majority black. No, it was majority, As it is now. Majority white. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, where are these white yeah. people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in 1940s East St. Louis, yeah. there were lots of white That's people. Right. 1940s, 50s, 60s. So that was yeah. one situation where your grandmother told you, you know, you're going to yeah, you're not yeah. going to make it. And that stuck with me because she told me that every few days. You know. Goodness gracious! And uh, if if uh, we went to the store, and the butcher or somebody behind the counter um, said something that I thought was offensive to my grandmother, I called them on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, my grandmother would explain that uh, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't spent a lot of time around white people, so. Although she would get white people told herself, <laughs> but it was in her own way, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so, so, and mm. it affected me when I turned twenty-one on a ship. You know, I thought some the day before I said something's going to happen here. Mm. It's going to take me out. <laughs> That's right, because you had been raised by her since you were nine. Right. So yeah. she was essentially predicting the well, death to a died. child almost, you know, every few days or every yeah. day. That's, um, so, yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> of course, that was uh, compounded and exacerbated by the racial um, conflagrations that mm. went on. Mm -hmm. So to be 83... So I said to Ram, your son, yesterday, mm -hmm. you know, you got a you got, you got a grandfather who's eighty three, gone on eighty four, Ram, and uh, we didn't think he was going to live to be twenty one. I was told that, <laughs> right? So mm, he smiled, and we, we smiled. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and so to get out of, to get through this last uh, adventure. Mm -hmm. Is uh, my grandmother would say more than an ocean. Mm -hmm. You ain't never lie. You know, with the pain, I mean, we're going from where I couldn't get up off my back mm -hmm. to only walking again. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not walking easily, mm -hmm. you know, just lightly, and I'm not ready to go back to my three miles daily mm -hmm. that I did for most of my adult life. But at least. You know, I, I can go get my mail. Mm -hmm. You know, I can uh, go to the bathroom. I can take a shower. You know. mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Well, that's a blessing. Well, you know, we all cherish you, and we all were rooting for your healing, and we are all so pleased 
at the amount of healing that has occurred because I have to tell you, there were some moments where I thought, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Wait a minute. It wasn't supposed to go like this. (laughs) In fact, I I remember saying to you all, members of the family, the group that uh, made most of what where I am now happen, you know, just facilitating. Mm-hmm. There's so many different levels to what people are, were doing, making appointments, mm-hmm. making calls, checking on folks out there who might want, who might have wanted to charge more money mm-hmm. than, than, than was legal or right, checking on folks out there who may not want, who may, might have wanted to uh, shortcut the treatment. Yeah. You know, checking to see if the right right tests were given, mm-hmm. and uh, and enough of the tests were given, and you know all that you know the right medicine, you know yeah, uh, and this was daily yeah. phone calls and visits to different offices mm-hmm. and uh, clinics. So <clears throat> as wow. your as your beloved. Uh, Maya said, nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. That's right. And that's one thing that I really, really learned from your situation is you have to have a support system. have to have a support system. Mm-hmm. And um, people went into action. And, uh, it also helps to know, I mean, the, the irony of democracy Mm. We have a good percentage of Americans wanting to <clears throat> destroy it. Mm-hmm. And um, democracy, what I learned early on as a kid was literacy is important in democracy. Mm. So you can make some choices. And the whole irony of some people now wanting to take that away. Mm. You know, but that is... Are you talking about the... Are you talking about uh, the way they want to throttle what kids are taught in schools? Yeah, and the way... And voting rights. And voting rights, yes. So I'm saying, to bring that back to my illness, my incarceration, my surgery, Mm -hmm. my family... Well, what you made... Yeah, what you made me think of was the enormity and complexity of uh, the U.S. healthcare system. And, you know, just the advocacy that you have to have for loved ones because you are right. There were key junctures at every point of your healing where if we had not been present and questioning that um, they would have limited your amount of rehab. Um, they wouldn't have managed your pain. Um, you know, I, I, I can imagine that in a different situation, if somebody had an elder in their family that fell and couldn't get up, they would just put them in a nursing home yeah. and say, well, he can't walk anymore. That's right. Just one, it, it, you know, it just came down. That arthritis came down on him. So that's what happened just, to my grandmother. Yeah, my grandmother died in the nurse. I was down in the hospital because mm-hmm. it took the last few days. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like 
a picture of the certain man a nice outfit and her with the apron and these other women and stuff. You know, that's what happened there, you know, in 69. Well, that was what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There was no place to go. Mm-hmm. And, so, and definitely they wouldn't have valued her healing and health to the point <clears throat> to figure out how to help yeah. her regain her independence. Yeah. It was just, just kind of like a blanket acceptance that, oh, you're this age? Oh, well, then you're supposed you're to. Black, yeah. Right. You're this age and you're black? Okay, well, then it's the and end. I, Your I usefulness is over. I thought about it all the time. Mm-hmm. I was six years younger than she was. You know? Really? Yeah. She was 86, 89 when she died. Mm. Interesting. Well, you know what? I'm I'm excited for us to continue the memoir my dad wouldn't write and to talk about how you um wound up at Oberlin and then Oberlin. Yes. Yeah. And then um Cal State Sacramento yeah. and how you managed to be one of the main architects of what we now call black studies. So on that note it is ironic. <laughs> I'll let you good people go. And my father and I are going to now go grocery shopping.